Hello and welcome to this episode of Incidicast. This week, we're going to purge ourselves of our inner hatred. We're going to release the beast within as we look at 2013's The Purge. Written and directed by James DiMonaco. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Weapons of class 4 and lower have been authorized for use during the purge. All other weapons are restricted. Government officials of ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the purge and shall not be harmed. Commencing at the siren, any and all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 continuous hours. Police, fire, and emergency medical services will be unavailable until tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. when the purge concludes. Blessed be our new founding fathers and America, a nation reborn. May God be with you all. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, glad to be here once again for another episode of Incidicast, where I'm going to talk about a film that I think maybe a lot of people don't quite consider as a horror film per se, but I think they're wrong. There's a lot about this film that is not only really good at building tension, but also has some pretty strong underlying themes that many other horror films have replicated and used the same themes uh, past and present. So yeah, we're going to get into The Purge. So obviously, quite a uh, starstruck main cast. We have Ethan Hawke and uh, Lena Headey. I believe uh, Ethan Hawke was a good friend of James and also a good friend of Jason Blum as well. And I believe did this for $3,000 uh, just to give the film a bit more of a, a star power to help push it. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine this film without him now. I think, you know, maybe they could have done it with a completely indie cast, and it could have gained some sort of cult following. But I think I think it is right having some star power here. Uh, really helps sell this film and push it into uh, the next level, and probably what's helped become the social phenomenon that it has. I think, you know, regardless of what people think about this film, and I know from my personal life, people have been kind of split on this for quite a bit. Some people think it's good, and some people think, like, it's kind of boring or whatever. Uh, it, it's, at the very least, become an extremely popular franchise. And not just on the back of the films, but just the merchandising of this film. You know, it, it's kind of set to replicate holidays, such as, like, Halloween and, and Christmas. And because of that... It piggybacks on Halloween so well. I mean, everybody dresses up as the Purge now, or Purge characters uh, for Halloween. You're talking masks, blood, face makeup. It, it's just become something more than, I think, even what James intended this film to be. And what I really admire about James, at the very least, is that he had a very strong vision going into the film and creating the film. And he knew what future films would look like 
if he was given the chance. And he was given that chance. And he continues to drive his points home. As I've said many times on this podcast about horror films and the difficulties that it can have sometimes in terms of finding some originality, finding someone that's trying to tell a story and and portray a message alongside, you know, gore, stabbings, tits, and all the other stuff that comes with horror films. Uh, it's a, a, a really nice diamond in the rough. And <laughs> I think that Dan should give this film more credit in, in some people's eyes who probably sleep on this film quite a lot. As a result, I am so happy and excited to talk about this film. Before I get stuck in, I'm going to throw some announcements in now. Uh, this is going to be the last episode for a little while. I'm going to take a short break, uh, probably about two weeks. The reason being is because uh, I'm doing some additional things behind the scenes. I'm going to finish up all the YouTube stuff. And also, I want to get back on schedule and also start recording some episodes ahead, which will just give me a little bit more breathing room. So don't be afraid. I'm not going anywhere. When I come back, I'm going to come back with some new announcements. You'll get uh, a bit of an update episode uh, in between. Uh, it won't be like an actual review of a film. It'll just be an update of uh, this podcast and the future of what I want to do with Instead I have some bigger, brighter ideas what I'm going to do. So you're going to get an update on that uh, probably next week at some point, which will be a lot of fun once I've uh, finalized some of my ideas. Yeah, so let's get stuck into The Purge. So The Purge is quite simple in concept. It's essentially um, having one day a year where people are able to purge. And the film describes this as releasing the beast. A sort of releasing of anger and hatred towards other people. And as a result, crime rates goes down, the economy booms, and it's a benefit for everybody. This film does not shy away from social commentary, especially with different social classes, and highlights quite eloquently how some higher classes, including ones that Ethan Hawke's character uh, would be a part of, views people of lower classes as worthy sacrifices. And this, I think, is where the true horror of The Purge comes from. It's less to do with the actual jump scares, it's less to do with anything visual on screen. The terrifying part of The Purge is its mirror to society. And because of that, people have to see the truth of things that's otherwise something they'd turn a blind eye to. I think one really important thing to distinguish with The Purge, which is that it is a dystopian concept. However, the concept is based in grounded reality from James' personal experiences. He talks about a few specific things that influence this, one of them being some time that he spent in France, where he saw a different culture around guns and around violent crimes, and also himself being at the hands of potential criminals and how 
his wife specifically <laughs> uh, stated she would want a you know some type of free pass a year to kill somebody and i think this is something that a lot of people sympathize with and they don't actually think about what that actually means you know a lot of people talk about when they hear about a terrible news case of of let's say a murder you know they think oh like we should just kill them we should just uh lock them up and throw away the key we should you know do all manners of horrible things to them and as james points out and the film points out equally that people are happy to make these claims when they're not the ones personally responsible it's okay for something to happen over there as long as it doesn't happen on my doorstep. And this is the dilemma that Ethan Hawke's character finds himself in. He has made a business profiting off the purge, profiting off the death of other people, and the indulgence into the worst aspects of humanity, and as a result, wishes to wipe his hands of the matter and to not get involved, to never get into anybody's way, to allow people to do whatever they want to each other, as long as he's not a part of it. And this can apply to so many aspects in our modern society today. And it's scary, because it's essentially that to the next extreme. You know, there's an underlying theme as well of this being a government-run program, essentially. And there's a really good argument to make here about how how essentially people's um, morality can be dictated by what is legally permitted to them and not specifically down to any other moral compass and the purge highlights what a society like that would look like i mean he calls it a new america but essentially it's just a dystopian extreme version of american society if rights awarded to people to do these things, they would be acted upon. But the removal of those rights, I can guarantee you, would be extremely fought against. It's something I've found kind of interesting, actually, in some personal things, even here in the UK, when I ever looked at major law changes. It's extremely easy to create a law for something that... Uh, awards some benefit to people it's extremely difficult to take that away and I think the purge can teach us a very early lesson of being careful of these types of things happening you know you don't want something to be permitted that you're unable to take back but of course some people will take what they have and run a mile of it in the case of the Sandon family, they're faced with this quite early on, actually. The son, Charlie, uh, is very much opposed to this morally. And of course, this is batted aside as just not quite understanding the way that the world works. And this is something that else gets replicated quite a lot in society. There's very, very clear examples of things that people wish could change, but they feel... They just have to accept as reality because fighting for change is extremely difficult. It requires effort and in many ways it requires extreme desperation. And as long as within that structure there's people who benefit, there will never be enough 
justifiable reason to remove those structures. It would it would have to be something that it covers a lot of bases. And you know, any clever structure is never going to let that happen. It's always going to be just enough to uh, avoid backlash to that type of thing. And what this kind of does is creates a very cynical world where these types of events become entertainment. There's a TV show in this called Purify, where they look at purge footage and people who are sat behind the cozy bunkers of steel get to watch humanity dissolve in front of their very eyes. And like everything else, it will become commoditized. It will become a new source of entertainment. And in the dystopian world of The Purge, it is. Because you have to make light of these situations, because otherwise, how would you ever accept that world to live in? You know? It's, it's pretty dark. We get introduced, you know, to the concept of the new founding fathers. This prospect that purging decreases crime, decreases burdens on society, and as a result creates a more economic and prosperous place. And because of that, the poorest in society become a commodity in themselves. They are people to trade. And the trade is their life. And what they get in return is some lethargic feeling of gratification. And in many ways, this film is quite obviously quite an anti-capitalist film. But it does so for a very particular reason, which is that as much as we give in to our desires, sometimes the worst parts of humanity will come out. And this film tries to highlight this quite heavily and, and drone on this point quite a lot with, you know, experts on TV stating, oh, there's all these psychological benefits of purging, of killing people, of destroying things, of stealing things. It creates a release. And I can imagine within a world like that, that type of thing would make sense. Absolutely. I don't think anyone would really dispute that. But the problem is, is that they'll never look at the bigger reason about why there's no release for people anyway. It's, in many ways, like uh, that snake analogy, right? You know, it's just people constantly eating the next thing. And the film gets a lot more deeper into that towards the end. But what this film tries to point out specifically is that essentially people are actually, deep down, really just animalistic. This is something we've seen in many of the horror films. You know, hell, like, this is kind of one of the founding things of... Uh, Werewolves, really, you know, the inner, the inner animal of man, the, you know, the devolving nature of being a civilized person. It's just a theme that's never gone away. It always exists, but this film puts it through a an American lens, essentially, less of a supernatural lens, so to speak, because of this. The government of you know, the purge is essentially encouraging these behaviors and exacerbating the problem on purpose. And of course, there's many hints that the reason why they do this, especially in the later franchises, that they do this specifically for economic gain and specifically to target minorities and people of lower classes. It's, it's a very interesting concept. I super love this. Um, 
yeah, so going into the film as a whole, let's let's talk about some of the characters. So we have uh, James Merry, which is um, Ethan and Lena's character. And then we have Charlie and Zoe, who are the two children, which is played by uh, Max Burkholder and Adelaide Kane. So, unfortunately, I mean, this has kind of been part of the issue in, in many horror films, or just films in general. Children tend to be an issue. They either become glaringly distracting or outright just, you know, lame. And in this film, for me, they are a little bit too distracting. I think Charlie's character is obnoxiously um, resistant to authority and just behaving, and it's a wonder how he's got like this. And again, kind of like I've said in previous films, like there's a weird element of treating kids like there's some creepy people who just like a like his doll with a burnt face and I mean <laughs> like it's just so bizarre how they do this. I don't know why. They never want to portray a family as like normal people. Uh but unfortunately, like Zoe is obnoxiously self-centered in this film. It's insane how much disregard she has for everything and everybody that happens because of her boyfriend. And I don't know if this film was trying to suggest, but it did quite heavily, that her boyfriend is a pedophile. <laughs> like, uh, this kind of felt really weird. It sort of reminds me of those... Do you know it reminds me of... I don't know if people have seen a, one of those Transformers films. And you have this guy, like... I think it was, like, the third or fourth one. It's the one with, like, the knights, I think. And I think, um... I can't remember who the main character is. But basically, there's, like, this whole scene where he's trying to prove to the dad that he can legally date his daughter because in that specific state, he has a card that basically says he can date someone that's underage. I don't know what this is all about, but I was getting the same vibes in this. Like, her boyfriend was willing to kill her dad to basically say let me be with your daughter who you think i'm too old to be with but i don't think i'm too old to be with her because i think she's really mature yeah this is like this is in the grounds of grooming a little bit kind of weird all right so i felt no remorse that he was dead but i i just I was just flabbergasted about how much <laughs> how much Zoe's character and how much the film actually dedicates to mourning the loss of this guy who not only was going to kill the main character, uh, but also was a pedo, I guess. Kind of weird. However, this is followed with uh, Charlie letting in a stranger who is crying for help. And somehow... Uh, Ethan Hawke's character, James, decided to give his children full access to the security code so that they could just destable the entire house. I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but I guess, in a way, you have to create some logic on how this film can happen. Realistically, uh, it was a very small budget, and because of that, they were very limited on where they can film and what they can do. And this is why the, the later sequels were much more bigger in scale, much more uh, elaborate. It's kind of interesting because this is where a lot of the moral questions come in, in terms of 
is it right or wrong to take part in the purge and what that means for you as an individual. We know that uh, James and Mary have put out blue flowers, which means they support the purge. I don't know what this means in greater context. What it kind of feels like to me is that it's just a rich people thing where they just put it out there to say like, hey, I support you guys, but also leave me alone. Or I don't know if this kind of falls into uh, some elements that you see in like more nationalistic aspects of society, like bigger displays. When you have like um people showing things to commemorate like veterans or commemorate like an important day and they'll have like some type of special bouquet or something. Like in this country we have puppies from World War II, like that kind of thing. I don't know if it falls more into that realm or if it's more of a message of like, I support you guys but leave me alone. You know, <laughs> I don't imagine a lot of people who are unable to protect themselves during the purge uh, putting out blue flowers to say, yes, I support you, because I think it's very likely that these people would probably be the ones who succumb to the purge. Of course, this doesn't sit well. We get introduced to our, essentially, the main antagonist, uh, the purges. There's quite a lot in this film, but we don't actually get to see a lot of them. Quite a lot of them actually just get killed sort of off camera to some degree um but the main people uh we do see are sort of the women with the masks uh some of the guys with the women and the polite leader who's played by a guy called reese wakefield uh reese did a very very good job like really good i think he was the perfect antagonist for this type of film and he was super creepy and did a very good job of towing that line between crazy but not over the top and that's kind of what you need like we're not you know recreating the joker here but we do need that level of crazy that's a little bit more unhinged than just uh, a, a random home invader and he has a, a, a pretty brutal monologue um, requesting the pig to come back the pig is referring to a homeless guy um, essentially, he was just a random chosen victim, I guess. And he was the person that Charlie allowed into the house. In the film, he's just referred to as Bloody Stranger, but he's played by a guy called uh, Edwin Hodge. Um, quite a small role, actually, in the context of the whole film, but very important because he becomes the moral epicenter of the film and also uh, becomes essentially the saving grace <laughs> towards the end. And it's really interesting because you see um, the film shift into two types of dynamics. So one, you have a home invader within the home, uh, which comes from the boyfriend. I think he's called Henry. Um, and then you also have the, the homeless guy. These are strangers within a house that's sealed so that in itself is quite terrifying and then you have the prospect of increasing danger with increasing home invaders with the purges who are outside and it's a really interesting build-up i think it's kind of odd though that they filmed a lot of this in the dark i mean it does add some suspense but of course if they're wanting to find somebody in a relatively big house it makes sense to keep the lights on but yeah, I'll give that a pass. I guess it adds a bit more suspense. But I think the craziest thing 
is just how it seems like the family sometimes just doesn't understand the layout of their own house. It's almost like someone goes upstairs or someone goes around a corner and they've just disappeared. It just becomes Scooby-Doo. Like every door just becomes a different room and it just leads back to the room that you was. It's unexpected things sometimes in horror films and it's kind of a shame. But it is what it is. For the most part, it served some story prospects. So amongst uh, a lot of the chaos, um, they basically find him at last. They have uh, quite an interesting standoff, actually. And this turned into them tying him up. And this is where the family sort of decides whether or not they're going to send him outside to be sacrificed or not. And it kind of ties back to what I said earlier. It's the difference between sort of being a part of something and allowing other people to do stuff. It's essentially the bystander effect. What somebody else does is nobody's business, as long as I'm not actively involved. But there's something that chews away at you, because it's something that you don't agree with, you don't morally want to happen, yet you don't want to be that person who intervenes. And as a result, you sort of become not only part of the problem, but also a culprit. Which in itself becomes extremely difficult because you can't be guilty for not taking an action in something because that also implies that everybody's always guilty for never doing anything when they should be doing something. It becomes very, very messy. So this film kind of highlights that as well quite nicely. So the family then has to decide what it is that they want to do. James then takes it upon himself to fight, uh, it's kind of bizarre that he didn't console anyone with this. I mean, it also kind of makes sense to bring the homeless guy in. He could be like an extra body. And if he dies, maybe they'll leave him alone. <laughs> but I don't know. They'd never go into that. But instead, we get some pretty nice like cat and mouse games around the house. There's actually some really good action scenes uh, with Ethan Hawke and some of the other purges. Things felt real. They felt visceral. Like the axe swings are always real axe swings because they, they time things very well. The shotguns felt impactful and, and brutal. And it gives the film some added weight and heaviness because without that, it's it's all talk and, and no action. So, despite um, deciding to fight and giving their children a gun <laughs> to uh, save himself, I guess, which didn't work, we then get to the point where Ethan unfortunately becomes stabbed. The end of the choreograph scene sees him with uh, the polite sort of intruder. And essentially he gets stabbed and he's sort of now just bleeding out. He sort of dies. Very, very big shame. I think, you know, James as a character was someone that tried to do the right thing even to the end. Or at least what he thought was the right thing. And it doesn't always work out the way that you want it to. The Purge brilliantly highlights how not everyone gets the justice that they deserve for the actions that they take. You know, it, it's not about justice. This this is the opposite of justice. The system would never exist if justice succeeds. This is a symptom of a failing justice system in whatever dystopian world that this exists in. And the family gets saved thanks to the homeless guy, uh, because the neighbors come along and they pretend that they're helping, but in fact, they actually just want to kill him anyway. 
there was quite a lot of foreshadowing to this earlier on, especially with one of the neighbors in particular. She sort of was a little bit freaky and gave them cookies and said, oh, it's all kind of weird that you're profiting off us all. And there's actually a really big part of this that I'm going to get into. It highlights also a dog-eat-dog of the riches, which is that there's always an ever-growing aspect of certain people becoming more wealthy and more powerful. And sometimes this can be on the back of their peers. It could be the neighborhood that they live in. It could be people of the same background and education and social status. And because of that, this dog-eat-dog becomes a devouring of itself, in a way. And that's what these people feel. That's what the neighbors feel. They feel that they are now no longer different to the people that they see as below them. They feel below the Sandin family. And because of that, the only choice that they have is to get rid of them. And this is so beautifully done because it just shows so many of the, uh, so many of the main points in actual modern society when you can look at social classes and how that works. It's just so good. It highlights what I think many people would describe as the squeezing of the middle class. Where they equally feel like they don't get value for money anymore. That having the status just quickly means nothing. Like, yes, they have a nice house and a fancy lifestyle, but actually they're struggling to keep the lights on as well. They're struggling to afford their own lifestyle. So for them, purging is the best way to get rid of the jealousy of other people who profit and benefit off them. It's a never-ending cycle, and it's a really interesting way to base a horror film around it. And also to be kind of critical of American gun culture and, and the violence that comes on the back of that. Hopefully I'm not, like, triggering any of the American audience by saying this, but it's the film's narratives, it's not mine, I'm just highlighting them. <laughs> uh, so yeah you get to the end of the film and essentially um, essentially Mary decides to have no more deaths, no more violence so they sit out and wait the rest of the purge and it sort of ends from there but what we can see is that the purge is just the start of a bigger narrative and it's great to see James uh, de Monaco have a really strong vision and really strong social commentary that he would like to bring to the table and highlight for us all to see. And as a result, we have the other films. And there was also a TV series as well, which I've never watched. I've also not watched um, Purge Forever, so that's going to be on my list one day for sure. But however, I think The Purge is a very self-contained film, which does focus a lot on the narrative over the action. And for some people in a horror film... Uh, that can be kind of tedious, right? They kind of want something more upbeat and, and sort of out there. But I think people need to just remember that no two horror films are the same, and if they were, nobody would watch them. So yeah, if you've not watched The Purge in a while, I think you should go back and revisit and think about some of the concepts that I brought up. I think you'll find it quite interesting, for sure. For now, uh, yeah, this has been The Purge, released in 2013 written and directed by James DiMonaco. I hope you all enjoyed. Do stay tuned for the update episode, where I'll announce some of the things that I've sort of 
been working on behind the scenes. And also, do check out the links below. Have a look at the social media. Give us a follow on there on Instagram, Twitter. That's a good way to get some updates. Also, check out the YouTube channel. The episodes will be dropping there as well. So that'll be fun. Okay, now this has been Phil and Incidicast. I will see you all very, very soon.